So the welfare state concept was already abandoned by. And the logic of the then finance minister, unfortunately, uh, a friend of mine who passed away, but logic was he would repeat Margaret Thatcher's face, saying that the government has no business to be in government. CPM General Secretary Sitaram Echuri is joining us to analyze the world and India during this COVID-19 pandemic. Almost all countries uh, were in a lockdown in some point of time. How this pandemic uh, impacted the lives of common people? Has the state failed them? Whether the economic situation has led to a situation, whether the welfare state has withered away. All these things we hope to analyze during this interaction. COVID-19 has changed the world. Uh, the pandemic has changed the world a lot. The way we interact, more virtual meetings are happening, like what is happening now. Has the, how has the world changed? How, how will you analyze this? Well, first of all, the world has changed in a very, very big way. It is no longer the world that we had known before the pandemic arrived. Whether we'll return to that sort of a world again once we get a vaccine, hopefully, that is also with a lot of question marks. And the reason for these question marks arising is because the manner in which this pandemic itself has been handled. In most of the countries in the world, because of the economic reforms that, and this neoliberalism that was uh, been raging, globalization for the last three decades or so, one thing that meant was the complete privatization of all public utilities and public services. Public health was the biggest casualty. Everything was rooted through insu the insurance route, through the uh, route of uh, big pharmaceuticals and the state expenditures. Though they may have been high, but that was not for creating in some states. They may have been high, but that was more for the insurance purposes rather than from creating state-funded infrastructure, health infrastructure. Now, India also has the same. Therefore, you have a lot of casualties that could have been prevented and which were, I mean, which we, we can see whether it's Vietnam or Cuba or even China or even South Korea or Singapore or Taiwan. Wherever you have a public health system, they, the situation is much better. In India, the situation is much worse than even most of the developing, developed capitalist countries. And we, we did a huge mismanagement of the manner in which we tackled the pandemic. The first warning in the world came in December. India had the first uh, positive case on the 30th of January. From 20th of January in the state of Kerala, where the positive case came from somebody traveled from Wuhan, there you had the entire structure set up to the ability of the state government and that is why the Kerala model became globally famous and you went scientifically in terms of testing, isolating positive patients, contact tracing and then quarantine. That was not done in India. For three months, the government organized things like Namaste Trump, toppling the governments and public swearing-ins, giving permissions for Tablighi Marcus and, and uh, such events, which acted to, uh, to actually spread. Yes. And then came the completely unplanned lockdown. Four hour notice. Neither people were prepared, nor the state governments were prepared. And the consequences were disastrous. You've seen how the migrants were working, lakhs of them, for more than two months. People losing their lives because of exhaustion because of hunger and uh, accidents, accidents that, we had, that we saw. No, 
All this could have been prevented if a proper warning was given. We had the Janta curfew. Why couldn't the Prime Minister announce right there that there's a possibility that we'll have to go in for a total lockdown? So be prepared. That may happen in, in a week. It may happen in 10 days. These migrant workers would have gone back at their own expense by the trains that were running there. All that was abruptly stopped. No facilities, no protective equipment for our health workers, no livelihood for the people, and no food for hungry. For cash transfers, give food. It was announced that after two and a half months, every time the damage that had to be done like that, and this coming in the process on which these workers were going back to their homes because out of sheer helplessness. So overall, the manner in which we've handled the thing has created a situation where there's been an economic ruination for a huge number of uh, people, crows and crows of Indian people, and getting back to normal activities and normal life. That is where I said these question marks arise because of all these circumstances. So yeah. uh, you spoke about uh, the healthcare uh, facilities and the, the, the trouble uh, we faced on the healthcare, healthcare sector. So how could have we done better? By spending more on primary health, uh, health universal health care. We spend, the central government spends an abysmally low, less than 1% of our GDP on public health. Central government thinks should at least grow up to 3%. We have been demanding this for donkey's years. And the state governments put together, it should be at least 6% of our country's GDP. That was not done. There are primary health centers with nothing there. Your district hospitals do not have ventilators, minimum facilities. And your government hospitals are all being decimated because of this large-scale drive for privatization. Your private health facilities and private shops, health shops have opened up in a big way all over, making health so expensive, healthcare, that the poor are automatically left out of the uh, bargain. And this has uh, resulted in a completely, completely, uh, I mean, inadequate, complete inadequate public health system in our country. This pandemic and the experience draws home that point. There's, there's an urgency to strengthen public health, provide universal health care access to everybody, and that requires increasing the government's expenditures on public health that must be done on an urgent footing. So you are saying that the private sector has benefited from this pandemic? Well, I am not saying that they benefited. They benefited before the pandemic. They benefited before the pandemic and during the pandemic. There have been instances that are coming out. The government has not had any regulation on how much can be charged by private facilities. All the reports that media, even the little that filters through, shows you the obnoxious rates that are being charged. Okay, the rich, if they have the money, they can afford it. But most of the people, it, it's completely out of their ambit to have any proper health uh, I mean, facilities during, during this period of a health emergency. This, this uh, takes us to another sector uh, which uh, actually gets into the life of people, the education sector. We are talking about the digital era now I mean, because the, the way uh, things are happening is in the virtual world. It's a virtual world these days. Do you think the digital divide has actually accentuated the divide between the rich and the poor? Well, uh, of course it has. There's only 38% of India's people who can access internet communications. If you're going to have online classes where there's no universal access, 
and you have connectivity so low in India, there are huge uh, tracks of India that are not connected to your uh, this technology. Now you you leave out a large section of India, and most of, uh, most particularly the most marginalized. Most marginalized are left out of uh, will be left out of this process, and this will only be the elitist education that will only be further studied. So that is why in today's context, digital education is a disaster, and in any case, digital education cannot replace normal physical pedagogical exercises. A teacher-student relationship and, and that sort of uh, education that is imparted is of absolute essential in developing not only the skills, the character the, and knowledge, but also the character of individuals. Now, that is something that is going to take a very big hit. So we are opposed to this digital divide. But we are saying that those, those who are in their final year, because they should not lose out a year and do not lose out whatever little prospects are left for their uh, uh, I mean, future career and opportunities. They must be evaluated on the basis of the earlier semester's uh, performance. And degrees or certificates, whatever needs to be given, should be given on that basis. So don't, don't force them to lose a year. But as far as the others are concerned, we cannot replace normal pedagogical uh, education with the digital education. Therefore, what we are saying is reschedule your academic year. Reschedule your academic year without um, uh, making students lose a year. Reschedule it in such a way that you will also save the year at the same time. Return back to the normal courses as and when. You have a vaccine that developed, so what, what, hopefully we are all waiting, the world is waiting for something to happen. As soon as possible. Yeah, you spoke about the vaccine. Uh, earlier, the CPIM has raised the issue of uh, black marketing of uh, COVID-19 vaccines and the lack of the, the people not getting uh, these vaccines. Do you think uh, the government should have intervened to help the poor uh, specifically? Well, the vaccine is not yet developed. Therefore, the question of black marketing doesn't arise. But we are talking of the possibility. Because you see, universally, internationally, what have we asked for? There should be universal cooperation among all countries in the world to meet this. This is a crisis before the human race. So instead of that, you have two countries who had actually ruled out, vetoed the suspension of intellectual property rights on the vaccine when it comes. That is, private pharmaceutical company that markets this vaccine can charge any price it likes due to the patent right that it has. Now, this is something which is not acceptable. The vaccine must be available free, must be available universally. And that is in the interest of the human race. The rich can think that they can protect themselves today. But remember, no flu vaccine will last for more than a year. It has to be repeated. And the possibility is while the vaccine's effect keeps waning, you can contract the virus also. So even for the protection of the rich for themselves, they are required to make sure that everybody is protected, otherwise they are not protected. If that has to be done, the vaccine has to be universal. This le leads to a question about the concept of governance. Let's look at what happened during the lockdown period. We, the most uh, defining moment or the def defining image of the lockdown was the exodus of migrant workers. Yeah. Many people lost jobs. Uh, there were salary cuts. Uh, do you think the government has done uh, handled the situation better? 
No, it could have handled the situation definitely better. As I told you earlier, if we had given proper warning, the migrant workers may have gone back to their own homes at their own expense using the existing train services. That was not done. After the crisis began, what were we saying? Organize special trains and send them back to their uh, residential place. That was never done for months, more than two months. After that, they started uh, some uh, wow, trains. This government has a fancy for naming everything. So they were called the Shramik trains. Like you had the one day Bharat planes that are bringing them up. But the Shramik trains were charging exorbitantly. We said they should be provided free transportation back. No. You charge them over and above the normal uh, the cost of the ticket. And by the time they could reach their places of residence, already there the tensions were high. Because everybody knew that the conditions in which they were living and living together and coming there, the chances of the pandemic spreading, the community, the community spread of the pandemic would, be, would increase exponentially. That's why today is India, uh, today India is number, number three in the total number of uh, cases. Soon, by, by next week, but it's anticipated, we'll become number two in the world next to the USA. Right now, you're after USA and Brazil. And number two, what was required today to meet the people's uh, agonies? 15 crore people lost their jobs. No livelihood. There's large-scale layoffs happening even in the middle-class, upper-middle-class jobs. It's happening in the media, it's happening in the IT sector, it's happening in all across the board. All casual workers and temporary workers have lost their jobs. Give, <clears throat> I say the cash transfer of rupees 7,500 per month for all families which are outside the tax bracket for a period of six months. That was not done. Even now not done. Some meager 500 rupees, whatever it is that they're offering, even that is not reaching. 10.4 crore tons. That is 104 million tons of food grains are rotting in our central go-downs. Distribute them free to the hungry. 10 kilo per person, per month, for the next six months. Two installments. I mean, they said we'll continue this for the next few weeks. But how much? Five kilos. And even of that, the government report only uh, itself says only 13.4% of these food grain that is meant to reach them has reached them. So it's a mockery that is happening. You have great uh, fancy uh, propaganda and spin accompanying declarations, self-reliant India. As though Prime Minister Modi is the first person in the country to have coined this term. This is one of the fundamental pillars of our constitution, self-reliance, economic self-reliance. Now, this self-reliance, what are you doing? You opened up your entire economy to the loot of foreign and private capital. All public sector enterprises are being privatized. All our mineral wealth is being privatized. And protests against these great big uh, I mean, strikes have taken place of nearly 6 lakh workers in the coal mining sector against privatization. Now the ordinance factories, defense production, they've given a call for an indefinite strike. They'll start, I mean, the notice has been given that will begin uh, sometime in October unless the government starts uh, the talks with them. But the, the entire protests against all the, the labor laws have been uh, sought to be annulled. 13 states have promulgated that the working hours will increase from 8 to 12. Now, this attack on the working people, on the working class, accompanied by loot of your national wealth and through your crony capitalism, my, the sleaze money coming back, 
and all of us know where. All of us know how governments are being toppled. We've seen before COVID, we have seen Goa and Karnataka and Madhya Pradesh. Now you're seeing Rajasthan and Manipur. And now these, these uh, sort of things that are happening through horse trading, all this money that is coming through where? So instead of providing money to the states to fight the pandemic, they are denying the state governments even the legitimate dues. Now they have announced they will not be able to pay the GST compensation for this year, coming year, 2021. What does that mean? Total centralization of authority, attacks on the working class, working people, loot of our national assets, and protests growing, divert this protest to intense communal polarization. And that is exactly what's happening. All CAA participants in peaceful protests are all being rounded up and communal profiling. And then you have attacks on democratic rights and civil liberties of people. Any dissent against the government is uh, anti-national. UAPA or Sedition Act, etc. And all those who stood up with the Bhima Koregaon case, you've seen them in jail, from Barhar Rao's to Gautam Navalokas to Sudha Bhardwajas. And all of them denied under the most draconian laws. This is an outright authoritarian assault, worse than what we have seen during emergency. And in this entire process, toppling democratically elected state governments. This is the way they are, they, they are proceeding. They are destroying democracy. They are destroying secularism. They are destroying democratic rights, civil liberties of our people. In short, they are destroying the Indian constitution. And that is the real challenge. They are merely going ahead with their agenda while they are distorting or destroying the Indian constitution. You referred to Atmanirbhar Abhiyan, the Self-Reliant India Abhiyan. Uh, the government is publicizing uh, the steps taken to help the poor especially. Then uh, there is an extra focus on Manrega these days. So is, uh, do you think that these social security schemes are coming back, though they were derided earlier? Well, they... they the announcements for them to come back are made. In reality, are they coming back? Government itself said, as I told you, the schemes that they announced of free food, they said only 13.4% has reached the people. That's the target. Less than 4% of the targeted benefits for the disabled in our country has reached them. Your Jandan accounts, etc., for your uh, women, on, into which they were supposed to be given two installments of 500 rupees each 500 rupees each the four months of agony have gone by and then for your kisans you said we'll give you 2000 rupees each. this was part of the pm pm kisan yojana at the time of the last general election this is the second installment even that is no word he said will benefit nine crore 14 crores are the people uh, kisans who should have got it only nine crore will going to get it even if they get it, that means five crore already denied. So Gandhau's announcements are being made. So it's not a revival of any social security system, even though they derided like Manrega, etc. But what, what they are today doing is to somehow try to contain the growing popular anger among the people by saying that we are doing all this. But very little of that is actually reaching the people which who require it. There is an argument uh, that the focus of governance has changed. The government, uh, during this pandemic period, the government is uh, going ahead with privatization of PSUs, 
you have the draft economic impact assessment draft then there are certain policies like the labor law amendments do you think the government is using the pandemic uh, to further uh, their agenda of course of course they're using the pandemic as an absolute excuse not excuse the context to further their agenda in fact remember the ceo niti ayog said it's a now or never movement now or never movement to initiate and push all reforms and that is what remove environmental protection ruin our environment so that private corporate can make their profits ruin the uh, adivasis and their rights so that they are no longer protected by their legal entitlements and the attack on the marginalized everything is happening in the name of this using the pandemic situation to push whatever they want new education policy new environmental policy privatization of the public sector loot of your national assets annulling labor laws attacking the democratic rights of the people any dissent is anti national and sharpening your communal polarization dividing the people between hindus and muslims this what i told you earlier this is the destruction of the constitution they are using this pandemic situation to push through their entire agenda and which is a complete neoliberal agenda which is completely in tune with the interests global interests of the united states of america and global capital so do you think the covid-19 pandemic has given an opportunity uh, for the government to withdraw from these welfare schemes right now it they'll find it difficult because of the anger among the people saying the government is not doing anything but the direction is clear 83% of the targeted fiscal deficit has already been spent in the first quarter of this year how will they how will they manage the finances they have already looted the reserve fund of the rbi they are now targeting the entire corpus of the cooperative banks even after that what will they do and they are not trying to get back the money looted by their cronies who benefited out of the last 6 years by the loans they have taken and scooted from the country none of their properties are confiscated and the money returned and remember loans from the banks are people's money you and me have our accounts there and it is our money that has been given to them which they have taken and run away they're not getting that money back and the pm cares fund is collecting thousands of crores where is that money going you have the pm uh, disaster relief fund illegal statutory auditable account transparent so now you have a non transparent non auditable non accountable fund now that is what i am saying there is a loot that is completely happening and they cannot sustain this economy unless with this sort of a loot the only way is more and more imposition of burdens and misery on the people uh, this leads to a question is the welfare the concept of welfare state uh, comes into play here do you think the uh, earlier concept of the welfare state is losing its edge uh, it's withering away it's already been abandoned even before the covid where was the welfare state after 2014 the constant undermining of whatever entitlements and and provisions that the government was forced to provide to the people and because of that time of the upa government with the left support many things were were were, were uh, had to be implemented like the manrega itself like the right to information food security act the right to education 
various acts, the Tribal Forest, uh, uh, Forest Rights Act, things that have not been done since independence till then, 60 years, they were all brought in. And each one of them is being, has been undermined by the Modi government since 2014. So the welfare state concept was already abandoned by and the logic of the then finance minister, unfortunately, uh, a friend of mine who passed away, but logic was he would repeat Margaret Thatcher's face, saying that the government has no business to be in government. So that is it. So the welfare state is, is, was, was something gone, uh, I mean, thrown out of the window. And the planning commission being abandoned, the Niti Aayog coming, that itself was a signal. So, and this process has got further accentuated during the pandemic. So it's necessary to appease the people and say, no, 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 government is caring for you, we'll do something. Announce grandiose schemes. In reality, don't allow that to reach the people who need it the most. That is the mechanics. If you say the concept of welfare state has, been, has already been abandoned, I wonder what is in store for the working class, the poor, uh, the middle class, Greater misery, greater misery, greater exploitation, and hence I see that we are standing at the brink of a major unleashing of popular people's struggles. There is no other way for working people to even survive. You have the loot of this nature happening. You have the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer. And this sort of a, a situation is not going to <clears throat> not very, so it's, it's going to be a period of great social unrest, big struggles, working class actions, working people's actions, and that will be sought to be disrupted by this sort of an authoritarian assault we spoke of earlier and diverted through that communal polarization that they are intensifying. So this is the future picture, which is, which for a country like ours and of our size is a very dangerous situation. This Modi government has brought the country to that, that position. How confident are you about this for people's struggles? Because uh, during this pandemic, we have, seen, we have not seen much uh, protest because of the uh, social distancing norms or uh, the fear of arrest by police. So yeah. how will this uh, grow up? You see, people often ask me if uh, even in a country like USA, you have the Black Lives Matter, big protest taking place. Why is the left, which has so been very, very pronounced in India, leading all such struggles, not doing it? It's just, you see, we, we have in India what you call your prohibitory orders, Section 144. Anybody more than four people, you can be arrested. USA doesn't have it. And today you, you try and go out there, they say that we'll arrest you, we'll detain you. Where? In those crowded jails and police uh, lockups where the pandemic is growing. Otherwise, you are, you are threatened with 21-day quarantine. So this draconian measures in which, that's what I mean, democratic rights. I mean, where are these democracies? Not only so you are distancing. And by the way, social distancing is the wrong term. It should be physical distancing with social solidarity. What is breaking down in the name of social distancing is social solidarity. And that social solidarity, whether it's Hindu, Muslim, or whether it's poor, rich, that is being broke down, broken down, but it's not only because of that distancing, physical distancing. It is because of the manner in which the state is conducting itself through these draconian laws. So uh, you believe that uh, uh, this social solidarity will lead to consolidation of uh, the concept of a welfare state? 
Well, that is a long, uh, that is a long haul. First of all, it will require uh, to wrest concessions from the government for the survival of the people and for their well-being. So that will be the beginning. What I mean, it should result in a better state, I and mean, that's what we would want. We would want the entire state structure to change. We'll struggle for that. But right now, the objective is actually to, to at least the government to take care of the basic responsibilities towards the people. Look at, look at this, a country like Spain, an advanced capitalist country, a country like Spain can nationalize all its private health facilities. And here this Modi government cannot even commandeer some private facilities for, for, for the, the looking after the people, regulate the pricing. Now, this is what marks, marks out the difference of what is the government's attitude towards its own people. It's a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Achiri. Thank you for joining us in the DH podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shemin. Thank you. Right. I'm very Good happy night. that you started this new format. That's all in today's episode. Tune in this evening on our news update podcast from the newsroom to catch all the exciting developments of the day and to get the news while it's still budding. For latest news and updates, log on to www.deckenherald.com. Check out our e-paper at www.deckenheraldepaper.com. To read news on the go, sign up to our telegram channel t.me slash News. Keep up with the news from your interested sphere by downloading the all-new Deccan Herald app, in which you can personalize, have a quick glance at news shots, check highlights and even listen too. You can get it from Google Play Store and Apple App Store and you can find the links to the same in the description.